Hello, and welcome to the Parabola Podcast. I'm story editor Betsy Cornwell. This month, I'd like to share with you an essay from P.L. Travers, who was a consulting editor and contributor to Parabola since its inception in 1976. Her writings include the Mary Poppins series and What the Bee Knows, and she has written extensively on myth and story. She died on April 23, 1996, at her home in London. This is Remembering. Remembering. A Hebrew myth, a potent element in the annals of the bees, tells us that when a child is born, an angel takes it under his wing and recites the Torah to it. Having done that, he puts his forefinger on the infant lip and says one word, forget. Clearly, every tradition has a similar angel, for where is the human creature who lacks indentation of the upper lip, that little valley of flesh where the same word has been so ineffaceably expressed? And indeed of necessity, for how without forgetting can remembering arise, and remembering leads to search? Maybe it needs another angel, though this time leaving no manifest mark to set us on our way. Angels, anyway, thread through our lives, invisible presences, energies, messengers, bringers of dreams, not the hodgepodge of daily events, but those rare dreams of portent and revelation that can change the course of our lives. There are angels who walk beside us, as Raphael walked with Tobias, pilgrim angels who carry bowls not for begging at doors, but to hold our lips from time to time, to refresh us with a taste of that emptiness which in their land is fullness. Such a draft, even the brush of an angel wing, can bring one to oneself, and thus to remembering. For without remembering, we dream our life away, and arrive at the end of it to find that there has been nobody there, the initiatory touch truly forgotten and never woken from. The way has been in us, but we have not been on the way. I cannot recall the time when I was not searching for a nameless unknown, something else I called it as a child, and as that it is still known to me. The longing for it affected me most strongly at sundown, and I would weep, not allowing the grown-ups to comfort me tenderly or testily with assurances that the sun would surely rise in the morning. I knew that, but this unknown was clearly connected with it and seemed to depart with the sun. As I grew, I learned to contain my sorrow, indeed, except at moments when an angel passed, entirely to forget it. Daily life needs its full share of the human creature's two natures, the mind its inventions and imaginings, the heart its orchestra of feelings, oh, the drumbeats, the clarinets, the trombones, flesh and blood their various feastings in order to have the material to question and to know. Was it not this share that the prodigal son, and most of us are prodigal sons, set out with his portion to seek? And after, again like most of us, spending it, the revelings and the subsequent sufferings, he came at last to himself. Having forgotten, he had to remember, reminded perhaps by a passing angel, and knew he had to turn home. The parable does not tell us much more, but can we suppose that he spent the rest of his life making merry and feeding on fatted calves? Would he not, after such an awakening, such a realization of his own unworth, and at length such a welcome home, feel the need to search within for his essential self? Prodigal in all things, would he not submit himself to the fire of self-question, pursue the reparation of the past through the process of metanoia, 
and with this new energy stirring in him apply himself to working in the patriarchal fields along with his elder brother, who significantly never left him. There is much to be said for that elder brother who is so often maligned. Clearly, having been told to forget, he had very soon remembered that what he was searching for was to be found nowhere but at the father's side. Most of us have to go far before we find what is nearer than the neck vein, but the very distance draws one closer. For myself, something else no longer sets with the sun. Rather, the sun goes down in myself and I am lost in the twilight. Oh, forgetting, sustain my remembering. Stay my feet, angels, upon the way, so that the seeker becomes the sought, and I too may be spied from afar as someone comes running to meet me. This was from Parabola's summer 1991 issue, The Hunter. We'll continue the theme of remembering with an essay from Edward Espe Brown, Gifts from Beyond. Many years ago in the early 80s, when Thich Nhat Hanh was giving a talk prior to departing from the San Francisco Zen Center where I was living, he said he had a goodbye present for us. We could, he said, open and use it any time, and if we did not find it useful, we could simply set it aside. Then he proceeded to explain that, as you inhale, let your heart fill with compassion, and as you exhale, pour the compassion over your head. Thich Nhat Hanh is generous with his teachings as well as gracious and kind, and he reminded us that if we didn't know what compassion felt like, or how to let it fill our chests, we could allow some warmth or light, some ease or buoyancy to fill our hearts. Pouring it over our heads, he said, could be quite relaxing and invigorating. He also mentioned that in Vietnam, in the heat of the jungle, they would sometimes refresh themselves using a half coconut shell attached to a handle to scoop up cool water and, here he gestured, pour it over the head. Then you let the fresh and soothing quality of the water seep down or wash through you. It was a gift I used daily, repeatedly, for two or three years. Rough edges softened, tension melted, energy flowed. I had been given, I was giving myself, a renewed body which felt more and more like home, warm and hospitable. Would you like one too? Gifts like this take practice, the practice of giving your attention, your warm-heartedness, to your activity. This kind of giving, the giving of inner resources, can be done each moment under various circumstances, and we can cultivate or develop our capacity to do so while speaking with a friend, meeting a stranger, playing with our children, cooking food, washing laundry, soothing ourselves. Is there some way for it to be a gift all the way around? The capacity to give is the capacity to receive. Often we don't know how to receive, to notice and appreciate the gifts that are ours always. Hands, for one, are ready to be hands, to massage shoulders or to shovel the dark earth. They are gifts waiting to be given, waiting to be opened. Yet here we are, sitting at computers or watching the television, and when it comes to cooking, we say, let the machines do it. I don't have time. We've forgotten the gift of our hands, the capacity to touch, handle, feel, sense, to wash, cut, cook, stir. Why bother, we wonder. It may be that we don't have time, yet we may also lack heart. It's not the body that's weak. It's not the hands that are unwilling. 
Assessing whether cooking is worth the effort is what the mind does best, and making that calculation, the mind ignores what the heart is offering to receive the gift and pass it on. Bread cannot live by words alone. Giving and receiving go hand in hand. Given water, salt, yeast, and flour, given hands and our faithful, warm-hearted attention, bread appears. We let go of the heady evaluations and instead give our attention to stirring, mixing, kneading, to observing and sensing. Dough comes into being, develops elasticity, responds to the gestures we offer. Afterward, the hands tingle with vibrancy, alive and well, tension melted. We are remembering what the shakers told one another. Work is a gift to the person working. The person working is the first recipient of the gift of giving. By giving ourselves to the work, we receive the blessing of being alive in the present moment of eternity. We find ourselves in connection. We find ourselves at home in sacred space. Later still, after rising, the dough is shaped into loaves and swells up larger and we can feel our joy swelling up as well. Warm from the oven, the bread awakens a vivid excitement and anticipation. Wonderful, almost intoxicating. The taste of the earth made palatable. We belong here on earth. Can you feel it? What a gift. The gift unopened remains inert, loses its power to invigorate and nourish. We look around for entertainment. The gift unused does not get shared and passed on. We eat out of packages that promise, I'm quick, I'm easy, you won't have to relate to me at all. Put me in the microwave and I'll be there for you. No wonder we grow lazy, it's too much work to actually cook. The awesome, often unrecognized gifts come from what is beyond, beyond our understanding and comprehension, beyond our capacity to produce. Without our thinking, the world appears. Food comes from the bounty of nature, the work of many people, the offering of other forms of life. We cannot fathom or manufacture the lusciousness of a tomato vine ripened in the sunlight. What is beyond has many names, God, emptiness, source, the way. It's where the muses hang out. Even in sports, we recognize what is beyond. When a basketball player is in the zone and can't miss, he is said to be unconscious. Our eyes give us the purple of cabbage and eggplant, the red of bell peppers and strawberries, ample curves and cosmic spirals, the toastiness of summery dried grasses and roasted almonds, and the mellow pungency of sautéed onions are gifts from the nose as well as nature. The mouth flows with moisture as it senses sweet, sour, salty, bitter, peppery, the flavors of earth, water, air, and sunlight. The gift is there to be acknowledged and received. Come to your senses. You could savor and delight. Even the thoughts and ideas, the joys and sorrows, the inspirations and guesses, the play of the mind are gifts. Which could possibly use a bit of cooking to make them tasteful and delicious. Sort through and remove all loose ends. Compost the soft and rotten spots. Salt, season, and simmer until ready. The Benedictine monk, Brother David Steindl Rast, told us in a lecture that every moment of experience is a gift from God, but for it to be a gift from God, you have to receive it as a gift from God. Not to receive this moment of experience as a gift from God is what we mean by sin. An astonishing statement, as most of us had never heard it expressed this way previously. When we sit down to eat, we give thanks for this food. At the same time, we could be giving thanks for the opportunity to cook, a gift to the chef, a gift from the chef. 
and the gift of conviviality, the chance to share all this blessedness with one another, to share food at table in good company. Ah, thank you, eyes, ears, nose, tongue, and taste. Thank you, heart, for receiving and passing on the life force. And thank you, hands, for taking things in hand and offering your handy work to others. What is it we really want? What more could we ask for than the capacity, the heart's capacity, to sense what is truly precious, to acknowledge and receive the gifts born of our care and attention, to nourish and be nourished, hearts awaken? What is it we really want? To be at home in this world, to be at home in this body and mind, receiving the gifts from beyond and passing them on? The gift in working becomes the gift in eating. What more could we ask for than to activate our capacity, our heart's capacity, to sense what is truly precious, to acknowledge and receive the gifts born of our care and attention, to nourish and be nourished. No longer holding ourselves back while we check to see if we are doing it right. Hearts awaken and we feast. Food tastes better when the cook is joyful. Our time for this month's podcast has come to an end, but I hope you'll join us online at parabola.org where you can find extensive archives of Parabola's more than 40 years of history and on our vibrant social media communities on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Tumblr. I'll leave you with a thought from Ray Bradbury in his book Fahrenheit 451. He said, we're going to meet a lot of lonely people in the next week and the next month and the next year. And when they ask us what we're doing, you can say we're remembering. That's where we'll win out in the long run. And someday we'll remember so much that we'll build the biggest goddamn steam shovel in history and dig the biggest grave of all time and shove war in it and cover it up. I'm Betsy Cornwell, and this has been the Parabola Podcast. Thank you for listening.